Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 72nd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's way too spoiled to care about Ixalan. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out face-to-face card pricing via mtgprice.com, whether you're building your deck or stockpiling on a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at mtgcritic on Twitter. My co-host tonight, as Travis is in Vegas with the rest of you, is Cliff Daigle, a.k.a. at Word of Commander, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey guys, if I can't be in Vegas, I'm glad to be here with you, and I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show is, as always, sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. All right, Cliff, what's on the agenda tonight? we got a busy one, yeah? We have so much to talk about. We've got top movers. There's some stuff that has spiked so hard. We've got picks of the week to go go over where stuff is going to spike even more. And then we've got two huge ranges of things to talk about. We have some crazy announcements that they decide to pile into like three days. Uh, we've got a banning to talk about if we have time. And then there's even spoilers for two sets away if we want to plan our spoilers for six months ago. Six months from now, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've got so much going on. All right, so let's dive in uh, top of the order. Let's deal with our top movers for the week. We're going to cut this off at the top six or seven or so, and uh, I'll dive right in. We've got Saprazan Cove from Arcadian Masks. This is the storage land that we talked about a couple weeks ago. The foil's moving from $6 to $8. That's like a 30% gain. Shows that the uh, the interest on this card is, is not dead in the water. It looks like after the initial spike, uh, people have been picking up copies for presumably their Atraxa-based commander decks. Um, these Mercadia Mask lands have languished in bulk bins and so forth for years. Um, but uh, I can see, having, as I'm in the process right now of building a Traxa, um, or rebuilding, I should say, um, I'm going to try these lands out. I think they're probably mediocre to okay, depending on what's on board um, and what I'm playing against. But uh, uh, I think the Sappers and Co-Foils, especially, as their Rebecca Guayard, I believe, are especially gorgeous. Uh, I would not be opposed to picking up any Mercadian Masks foil that's around, um, just in general, because the early, early foils, when they spike, they're going to spike hard. Um, I am for it. Uh, Atraxa can give you uh, value all over the place, and the only thing about Atraxa that I've seen is uh, she's a lot of bookkeeping, a lot of things where you got to keep track of every single thing. So uh, more power to you, but it's a good land to play. Yeah, you basically need an, an abacus on, on deck if you want to play Atraxa. <laughs> uh, next up, we have another card that's also good with Atraxa. Crystalline Crawler out of Commander 2016. Uh, jumped from 4 to $6. There are no foils of this at this point. And uh, that's a 50% gain. And it's really good in Atraxa. It's really good in a five-color setting. And if you're proliferating, uh, it's going to really get out of hand for you quickly. I can see this being a card that would show up in an artifact set down the road. It's pretty neutral uh, in terms of its theming and name. Um, and if it did, then it's going to, you know, the fact that foils would suddenly be on the market, plus a plethora of standard legal rares um, or uncommons even, 
um, would would potentially crater this. So I think that there's going to be a window of opportunity to get out in the eight to twelve dollar range sometime in the next year or two um, before it gets a chance to get reprinted, and that's probably the sweet spot. Um, I bought a whole pile of these from Europe at about a dollar fifty a piece, so um, I'm already starting to look at buy list prices to cash these out. Yeah, people need exactly one, and they're going to get picked up and put in a dex, and the supply is just going to trickle to nothing because it was never that great to begin with. Yeah, the Commander 2016 stuff's been targeted, and um, there's a real steady stream of demand for a lot of the cards because they're, uh, in the case of Crystalline Crawler, this is the singular printing. Um, and having the first time a card appears being a supplemental product means that there's a lot less of that card on the market than there would be with a standard legal card. Um, and even though rarity is kind of a nebulous quantity when it comes to Commander 2016, since everybody, everything appears in equal quantity, no matter what the mana, the, the uh, rarity symbol is, um, there still really is a, a, a pretty scare, uh, steep scarcity curve that's been going on with these cards. And Crawler uh, has been, uh, you know, crawling up the curve as it, as it were, as a result. You, you couldn't help yourself, could you? I was going to stop myself, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on. All right, you know. so... so so, so next on the list, both versions of Ghost Quarter foils, both the Dissension originals and the Innistrad uh, version, have been moving. Um, it's an imp increasingly important card in modern. Uh, the foils from Dissension, uh, which is the original Ravnica block, um, that's a while back, um, they've moved from 35 to 55 or so, uh, which is quite the price tag for a foil uncommon. Um, that's a 58% gain just this week. Uh, and I'm looking up what the Innistrad one has done. The Innistrad ones moved from uh, something closer to... Uh, yeah, it's up to 19 now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and around 12 or, 12 or 13 on the week. Yeah, that's uh, it's really awesome to uh, get those one or two. Uh, people are still playing one or two basics in most of their decks because Path to Exile is the best removal spell in Modern. So it's very rare that you'll catch somebody out to not get that one basic. But, um, you know, it's one land. It, we've already got a lot of data showing us that Wasteland is really good even in Legacy. And this is a powerful thing to do when... Somebody else's deck is running, they only want to have three lands in play if you're Death Shadow or uh, you're breaking up Tron. There's just a lot of good things to do with the land, and people want to play a bunch, and that means the foils are going to go up, up, up. Well, the other thing is that uh, in a format where four or five different viable deck types are playing things like Blood Moon, um, you know, there's motivation on, on behalf of a lot of decks that have multicolored requirements that they want to search out those basics early if they know they're facing a red deck um, on the basis that they may not get the opportunity later, right? So um, once they've gotten a couple of basics out of their deck, then the Ghost Quarter just turns into Wasteland. Or uh, let's not forget uh, Death and Taxes build that like to play Arbiter. Sure, exactly. Um, all right, so what's next on the list? Next up, we have a reserve list card. Aladdin's Ring out of Arabian Nights has gone from $6 to $12. It's a straight double up. And uh, there's a combination of things. People will play this in uh, in some old school decks. It, uh, was there a white border printing? I feel like there was one white border printing for this. I'd be, I'd be pretty surprised if this makes it into many old school decks. I mean, this is an eight casting cost artifact that costs eight to do four damage. Listen, you... <laughs> I, I played back in when this was uh, a good enough card. It has been, I was thinking more of the lamp. But yeah, this is Aladdin's personal shotgun, bro. You're going to deal four damage. You're going to take that Sarah out of the sky. 
It won't kill Dijin, but it'll kill almost every other creature that got printed back then. And yes, it's a lot of mana. Don't don't good old school decks go like double dark ritual, double hypnotic specter kill you on turn four? Well, that's good too. I mean, but you cannot repeatable <laughs> damage is really hard to come by in this format. Yeah, fair fair enough. But I, I suspect that you know we've been, we were seeing cards from Arabian Nights, Antiquities, Legends, um, Beta, all this like you know original couple of first couple of years of Magic um, trickle up, trickle up, spike, trickle up, spike. Um, and everybody started with the obvious targets, but over the last course of the last 12 to 18 months, we've just seen week after week after week, a new set of targets that have been, you know, anywhere from a 5% to a 50% gain. Only the really big spikes ever make it onto the show, but a lot of them have experienced similar, um, you know, similarly large gains over over time in the accumulation of targeting. So it's both, you know, the combination of collectors pulling these into collections never to return to the market, and people that have gotten wise to the fact that reserve list cards are just about the safest bet there is. And we just had Wizards reconfirm last week that, again, the reserve list is still off the table. It's worth mentioning that there have been seven printings of this card. All of them are under 50 cents, except for the only Blackboard edition, which is Arabian Nights, the original. Exactly. Um, all right. So next on the list, we have Street Wraith. Um, from Future Sight, the original foils of the now most played creature in Modern, if you can believe that. Um, $30 to $60 this week for 100% gain. Um, picked a few of these up over in Europe in and around the $20 mark last month. Pretty happy uh, or eager to get those into my grubby little hands so that I can post them up online and get them up for sale. Uh, at, what's really great about this card is... Uh, can. What's the over-under on the number of times it's been played as a creature? Number of times it's been played as a creature. Um, oh, yeah. you gotta, you're you got to be talking like 95% of the time it's cycling, right? I would imagine it's probably more like 97%. I can't see a Death Shadow deck getting the five mana unless something has gone horribly wrong. Yeah, I mean, if they're already at like full-on Delirium, full-court press, and their life total is down in that five to eight, kind of like magical range where they they start needing to think pretty hard about whether they want to lose any additional life um you know then it gets maybe it gets hard cast but yeah most of the time this is just all about making your your deck into a 56 card monstrosity yep uh i, I love it all the foils uh, especially the future site foils because it's the alternate border and uh it's just prettier than all the usual stuff yeah, I mean, the thing here is that this got reprinted in Modern Masters 2013, and foils were one per pack in that set, as they are with all of the Masters series. Um, and yet the foils, even for the Modern Masters version, have been climbing pretty hard because there's just multiple decks in Modern now running this as a four of. Um, and until it gets banned, and there is an outside chance it will, because it is, you know, it, it, it does kind of bend um, the philosophies of the format um, in the sense that it kind of shrinks your deck size below what it's supposed to be. Um, and especially with, you know, the, we'll see how dominant Death Shadow continues to be and whether it gets out of control or stays at its, you know, dominant but not broken position that it's in now. Um, you know, I, I think the exit point is, is either now or pretty close to now. I think I'll be very comfortable getting, getting rid of both my foil and non-foil copies in the next three to six months. I would advocate for that. Uh, I, I'm checking on Street Wraith right now. It was the first Modern Masters, uh, 20... Yeah. Yeah, 2013. Was it? Oh, yeah, because you put a number on there, and I wasn't used to thinking of it with a number. Okay, you're right. Mm -hmm. uh, let's so move. So it, it could show up. 
it i mean we're getting two master sets in the next 12 months we're getting iconic masters in in the fall you're, and you're jumping ahead sir <laughs> and then the other be careful with those leaks be careful with those leaks it's true so it, it could show up again uh and i on that basis that i don't want to hold on to it too long i'm with you it's gone through a big enough spike and uh move out if it goes up another ten dollars you will still feel great about the amount of money you've made so if you've got them move them all right tell me about this uh white kill spell that's doing well all of a sudden oh condemn one white mana it's so good against death shadow it makes them gain life it's almost as good as swords to plowshares except it's not the foils from dissension have gone from 12 to 30 dollars for about 150 percent game uh gain the original foils have you know, jumped up significantly because Dissension was not really a huge circulation set, and the other versions are going up as well. People want to have the, the new hotness to go against a Death Shadow deck where you can condemn one Death Shadow and it's going to kill the other because they gain so much life. Yeah, I bought some of these up a couple of weeks ago, and I was very surprised to see how shallow the inventory actually was. Um, for a card that's been printed multiple times, I mean, it hasn't been printed recently in foil, and that's the thing. Um, you, you give a card five years, and it really almost doesn't matter how big the release was, because attrition will catch up, and there just won't be that much left of the market. Uh, yeah, even the M11 foils are 13. Uh, 10th edition foils are 12. And I think the only thing different is the you know, the uh, expansion symbol and the quote on the other one. So, final card of the week, we've got Fairy Macabre uh, out of uh, Shadowmoor, I believe. Um, the foil's moving from a dollar to $15 for a 1,400% change, and this is on the back of it showing up as a four of in most of the newest incarnations of Living End in Modern, where they're running four copies of the card main um, with a, a dual purpose. A, it's a creature that they can easily get into the graveyard at whim, and B, it can remove key um, delirium components uh, out of the graveyard to injure the Death Shadows decks and the decks that care about recursing things out of their graveyard. Um, and because that happens at instant speed, um, that has a whole bunch of applications against some of the graveyard combo decks, some of the Snapcaster-type decks, um, and certainly against Death Shadow and Tarmogoyf. Yeah, um, it's a niche card. I mean, Shadowmore didn't wasn't a huge print run. It was right before Mad, one of the renaissances Magic has had in the past few years. It was in Modern Masters, and it's been in two dual decks, but this is the foil, and that foil supply is not terribly huge. You need just a couple of people to start playing lots of versions, and you're there. Uh, it's spiked because of the modern interest, but it's also showed up in a lot of legacy decks as side, as free sideboard. Uh, people don't want to run surgicals, they want to run this instead, and here we are with uh, this random common, it's a common, at $26 in, or excuse me, at uh, $14 in foil. Well, I mean, part of this is the, the Shadowmoor Eventide, uh, block was the only year magic the gathering ever put out four sets in a block um technically two blocks but really one block with four sets and 
it wasn't uh, as popular a, a game back then, and there just wasn't that much of those sets printed. And because it was heavily tribal themed, there weren't a lot of competitive, super competitive cards. So a lot of these cards have taken time for their combo pieces to appear uh, in the game and and have been turned on as a result. I mean, look at Devoted Druid, just sat there languishing for years, <laughs> mostly ignored, and now foils of Devoted Druid are what, $30, $40? Uh, it this was right before um, they changed around the core sets. So yes, this was right before, uh, this was 2008 or so. And uh, there was just around the corner from M10 and Zendikar when people really started coming back. And as you said, the supply on this was never heavily opened. So if you've got these languishing in uh, some back of some box somewhere, you have some random foils from Shadowmoor, give it a look. If you've got a local store that's got a bulk box that they never update, like a sports card store or kind of like a mixed-use collectible store that doesn't really pay attention to their magic collection too much, doesn't check prices online, or has stickers on stuff that are five years old... Just buy everything. Just buy everything. These are the kind of sets you want to be trying to dig out and take a look at, see what the price tag says. Walk in there, make them an offer for 60% of what they want for the entire inventory, and say, I'll take this all off your hands right now. And if there's a layer of dust on it, they'll give it to you and you, you know, put together a Vegas vacation off your profits. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to segment two, our cards to watch this week. I've got a spicy one based on some legacy tech I saw on camera at GP Vegas today. Uh, in the legacy tournament, somebody was running a Sultai brew with this card. Um, and this was Unearth Foils, which is an Urza's Legacy uh, foil. So one of the first sets in Magic to ever have foils. We're talking 15 years old at this point. Um, uh, my confidence level on this is high because even though it's uh, not a card that's played uh, all that often and, and there's no uh, evidence that the shrinking uh, or or flatlined legacy community um, is, is generating massive uh, returns inside the MTG Finance world these days, um, there really aren't that many of these foils lying around. Um, I was able to scoop some up at around ten to twelve dollars over the last couple of hours, and uh, I could easily see these hitting twenty-five or thirty dollars if uh, a f- even just fifteen or twenty more legacy players decide they want a couple of foils for their deck. Um, if you're not familiar with this card, it's just a sorcery for one black that basically lets you bring any creature back from your graveyard with three casting costs or less and put it straight into play, um, which is not in effect. Uh, that we uh, ever get in that uh, casting cost range these days. Um, and so what they were doing is they're using it to bring back things like Snapcaster Mage, Leovold, Baleful Strix, or Deathrite Shaman, all of which are you know card advantage engines unto themselves. And so bringing them back for one black, uh, I think it was a two of in the deck in question, um, is a pretty good value train. Uh, I can easily see a train where you've got two black mana, a Snapcaster, and a Leovold in the graveyard, and you end the turn having spent your two black mana, and your Snapcaster and your Leovold are now in play again. So this seems uh, awesome. This is the very first set that was foil, and so uh, there are people who go after these foils and 7th edition foils to get that early, early foil experience. So the supply on this is even lower than you might think it is for a foil common. Yeah, one of the things I look for these days if I'm checking fo- like old foil prices on TCG is whether I can get the card uh, for less over in Europe. And in Europe, this card is actually in scarce supply already and even more expensive than it is back home. And everything about that says go ahead and buy. I'm with you on that. I like it. 
All right, so tell me about your first pick this week. So uh, my pick this my first pick this week is Condemn, uh, the not a foil version, the Magic Player Rewards version, the textless version. Right now you can find this around six fifty, and I think it's a pretty easy pick to double up in the next six to twelve months. Condemn is the new spicy tech as we just talked about, and while the foil versions are spiking pretty hard, the MPR version is actually at a low point compared to where it was just a month and a half ago. It's already cleared $12 before, and uh, it, it going back up seems only a matter of time. Yeah, I, I think this is a slam dunk. The um, the textless version, somebody's got like 12 copies at 6 bucks. That's a auto slam as far as i'm concerned because there's only about another five or six copies before you're back up into the 20 dollars range well then uh hang on just a second let me get on that um <laughs> no yeah, so it, I, I i love the pick I, the card is only really being played as a one or two of and it's pretty metagame dependent but um if you focus on the mpr version uh, again the supply is just so super low and people want to play a unique version that's not necessarily a foil version. This is a nice in-between of a you know, $1 M11 Uncommon versus a $30 M11 foil. Exactly. And there's also, the with the NPR cards, the text list, uh, player reward cards, there's the collector market too, right? Like a guy like my dad doesn't play Constructed at all, but he's got to have every single NPR and every single promo that comes out. And those guys that are trying to finish collections are, are a big part of the long-term hoovering effect that, that you know, sucks supply out of the market given enough time. I like hoovering. I'm going to use that going forward. Tell me about your next pick, James. I really like this one. So I opened, uh, I was on our super roll last couple of weeks. I almost never open boxes really because it's dumb to do so. Um, but I usually make a deal with myself that if I open the box and uh, I make money, uh, at least on paper, then I can open another box if I so choose. Uh, it's a silly it's a silly little game that I play with myself from time to time. And uh, it just so happens that I went on a hot streak and opened multiple boxes of Conspiracy 2, uh, Modern Masters 2017, Russian boxes of Either Revolt, and then uh, a couple of boxes of uh, Eternal Masters Japanese and Eternal Masters. Um, and it occurred to me that some of the Eternal Masters foils are pretty important cards that have ne either never existed in foil before or have never existed uh, in non-FTV foil, including this pick, Mystical Tutor Foils, um, are only really in demand for vintage and cube players and I guess the occasional collector. Um, but uh, it's a nice looking card. Um, there aren't the supply is not particularly deep, and EMA is well past its peak supply point at this, uh, at this juncture. Um, you can get in now at around fourteen or fifteen bucks, and I could see holding a couple years that turning into a twenty-five or thirty-dollar card. Uh, I am not going to advocate this level of gambling with our listeners. Uh, mostly, if you've got the boxes, resist the temptation. Uh, go, you know, set your money on fire someplace else. Uh, I. I understand how good it feels to open a box, man, that you unwrap it and so many cards you want to get, and it could be anything. It could be anything. But you uh, you hit a hot streak, and I'm going to advocate you walk away from the table now while the getting's good, sir. Well, here's the thing. The EMA boxes are straight-up gambling because the, the, the estimated value of an EMA box in English is about $140. Um, I got my Japanese boxes last December when all of the retailers in the U.S. got them in the secondary wave. Um, as the add-on to their order um, at 185 
So at 185, the Japanese boxes were pretty much a safe bet because the Japanese foils still carry a pretty significant premium. Because some, in some cases, they've never had a Japanese foil period, and they and and that makes them you know particularly hot items in the vintage and legacy and potentially cube and EDH scenes, depending on which card we're talking about. Um, so that one I felt pretty good about and, and knew wasn't too risky. The other box that has ridiculous EV right now, as we've talked about with Travis a couple of weeks ago, is Conspiracy 2, um, which I think is a slam dunk buy. You can get boxes of that online for 70 bucks right now. And the you know the guaranteed average EV, I mean, not guaranteed, the average EV is $94 a box right now on Conspiracy 2. That's a set with Expropriate, Leovold, um, Imperial Recruiter, and a whole bunch of other stuff, right? Uh, sorry, not Imperial Recruiter, Recruiter of the Guard. Um, uh, Sanctum Prelate, I believe, um, and uh, Kaya. There's, there's a whole bunch of great cards in that set, and they're only going to keep going up because it was virtually unopened. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a, there's a. We'll probably end up talking about EMA foils in in greater uh, detail as time rolls on. But uh, I like Mystical Tutor foils. It's just a card from way back in the day. I think it was in Visions, right? Visions or Mirage? Correct. It was Visions. So there was no. Right, so that's why there's no original foils um, that makes this card a little more special. And even though the demand pr profile is low, um, the relatively low supply, uh, you know, piqued my interest. I'd, I'd say in confidence level on this is like maybe a seven. Um, but if you wanted one for for cube or what have you, there's no reason to hold back right now. I'm with you on that. Uh, my last pick this week is out of Ether Revolt. It is Rishkar, the Pima Renegade, the elf that gives two counters when it comes into play, and creatures with 1-1 counters on them get to tap for a green. Right now, you can find them for around 2 bucks or a lot less, depending on if you're uh, trolling eBay effectively. And I think that with Marvel's ban, uh, the green-black decks that go Snake into Rishkar into Verderous Gearhulk have a lot of growth ahead of them. And I think this card is due for about a triple up. I can see this being a $6 card anywhere in the next 6 to 12 months. I believe that could happen. But one of the things that scares me off standard cards right now is I just don't think... I, it's not clear to me that even with bannings that they can repair the damage they've done to standard over the course of this year. And I think that they know that that's a possibility too, which is why a lot of the you know, forthcoming products and so forth feel like they're a little bit more casually oriented, as we'll talk about shortly. Um, I like Rishkar Pima Renegade. I think that it, it you know, green-black decks uh, in particular um, seem to benefit most from Marvel leaving the format just because they were always strong and they they don't really need to make much in the way of changes to uh, readjust to a metagame without Marvel. Um, but I think if I'm looking at the Rishkar in the long term, I'm more interested in the foils, which have a significantly lower supply and could easily show up in casual and EDH decks over time. I like the. I'm, I'm with you on the foils on the longer term, but I think that uh, Rishkar is going to see a spike during the uh, time he he. Or, I don't know if it's a he or she, during the time they're in standard, and um, I like foils for the the long term casual game, but I I do believe there's going to be a, a good window for me to pick these up now and get out at a, a pretty happy increase. I think that's largely going to depend on on whether people come back to stand, an excellent standard that has you know a plethora of interesting decks, and we'll see how that plays out through the next couple of sets. Um, all right, so my final pick this week is sealed product. Um, one of the boxes I opened actually, I think, uh, is a box that I probably should not have opened, um, even though it worked out. Um, most standard sealed product is poison, 
these days. I mean, from if you look at Return to Ravnica block, lots of people bought that, assuming that the uh, Shocklands were going to be enough to push that box up into Innistrad levels in the 200 level, um, hoping for a double up minus shipping and fees. And that just has not come together. A, a, there's a ton of supply out there, but B, you don't really have the specific conditions to have those boxes explode because by the time um, the supply of those boxes started to shrink, we already knew that we were getting Return to Ravnica cards in Modern Masters 2017. And of course, things like Abrupt Decay and Sphinx's Revelation and so forth and so on were all reprinted just recently. And so again, the clock is reset on, on a lot of those cards. However, if you look at um what's happening with masterpieces and i've made a lot of noise about making a ton of money on soul ring masterpieces that i bought in europe starting at in and around 70 dollars and up into the i still bought some last week at about 120 um this is you know that's a card that's going to hit 200 to 250 in short order here um and i think that a lot of there's at least six to eight other masterpieces that are likely to fall like dominoes in the wake of that movement um and if you're looking at masterpieces, uh, specifically the inventions from Kaladesh and Aether Revolt, it's important to keep in mind that there are a lot fewer of the Aether Revolt masterpieces um, than there are of the Kaladesh masterpieces. Uh, arguably, some of the most important masterpieces are in Kaladesh because of Soul Ring, uh, Mana Crypt, and Mana Vault. Um, uh, but the ones that appear in Aether Revolt are going to be significantly uh, harder to find as time goes on. And we've actually already seen spikes on those as early as two months uh, after their release, when they should have been hitting peak supply. Um, some of them were already draining out of the market. Um, and that leads me to believe that between that and the fact that um, Fatal Push is such an important card, um, and the fact that when we get these reprintings in the master sets, they're always printed in three languages, English, Chinese, uh, traditional Chinese, I believe, and Japanese. They're never reprinted in Russian. So that means if you get your hands on Russian Aether Revolt boxes, you not only do you have the Russian foil multiplier potentially on people that want to go lottery hunting on things like Fatal Push or a bunch of the cool EDH cards that are in that set, you also have the um, likely EV gains from the masterpieces. Now, a lot has been taught, has been written about how the masterpieces drain EV out of these boxes, but people need to understand that that paradigm only holds true so long as the set is in print, because while it's in print, the restock value, uh, the restock cost for anybody that wants to go deep, uh, you know, hunting for a particular single, um, is like seventy dollars wholesale or whatever. But once the wholesale opportunity is gone. Boxes can naturally float up to the uh, price tag as associated with the broadest possible um, pulls from that set. So what I'm trying to say is that um, beyond the point where you can buy boxes at wholesale or easily buy boxes at all en masse, um, nobody can really get their hands on enough to go box diving and cracking singles, and so nobody will. And so when we get to the point where the standard cards uh, you know, the set cards that are in the boxes for either Revolt and Kaladesh are mixed with the, the e, are decoupled from the EV of the masterpieces. I think those boxes both have a chance to get over 150 for sure, given say two to three years. And the Russian ones could easily hit 200 in a hurry as have the concept arc here boxes. I'm with you on the math and the argument for the, uh, other languages. What I'm concerned about is, uh, I want to reiterate this point, 
I don't think that English is going to see the kind of growth you're forecasting out of the Russian and Korean boxes, since those are the languages that are the least printed. Um, yeah. I want, I want to reiterate that for anybody who's listening. He's not saying every Ether Revolt box. He's saying only in Russian and Korean. And that's a very important distinction because otherwise you're going to put your money into an English Ether Revolt box, put it in your closet, and in five years it'll have gone up by $20. I'm, I'm not 100% sure on that because I think that now that they've announced that the masterpieces are not going to be every set, um, the, the boxes that have them expeditions masterpieces and to a much lesser extent the almond cat invocations since most of us agree that they're ugly um that means that there's really only two blocks that we know of so far and it might be you know once every two blocks or once every three blocks based on the current cadence they've suggested um those blocks will be special and those boxes should be worth more because they have a, a higher potential upside right they could have a two or three hundred dollar card in them whereas a box of eldritch moon is not going to be in that position um, so I think they're okay, but the thing is that you can get a Russian box of Ether Revolt for 95 right now, and maybe you can get an English one for 75 or 80 For the extra 10 or $15, um, it's more than made up for in the potential upside to having Russian foil availability. I'm with you. Uh, that's an that's a intriguing thing to do, and as long as you have the closet space, uh, I'm on board. The other thing here is that everybody else is, is telling the is reciting the narrative ad infinitum without ever checking the facts that that sealed boxes are poison, when quite clearly conspiracy two boxes, for instance, are an excellent deal. Modern Masters twenty seventeen has a solid EV and is likely to get much better if if we look at twenty thirteen and twenty fifteen as any indication as to what's gonna happen. Um, and so, you know, most people that are in the MTG finance scene are quote unquote off sealed product, which opens up the opportunity for you to, you know, cherry pick the best best stuff and know that not that many people are going to be chasing it. You do want to be where not many other people are. That's uh, that's a general principle that will usually bring you money. Yep. All right. So let's move on to the metagame week in review. Only one big tournament we want to cover next week, of course, we'll be talking about all the results from the triple GP in Vegas this week. Um, but for right now, we're going to talk about the SCG Modern Open in Charlotte last weekend. Um, this event was taken down by Todd Stevens running Eldrazi Tron, um, which is a deck he's been running on stream uh, to great success and has had very solid success with on the SCG Tour as of late. Um, I love seeing somebody who is kind of day-to-day -day putting in the, the time on the grind, um, you know, bringing their experience to the table and just taking it home. The more times you can play with the deck, the more uh, experience you have and the better you're going to be with it, even under conditions that you might not think you're favored. It's your experience that makes it uh, a better play. And uh, he went through uh, multiple rounds where he had to just mow down the most popular deck in Modern, and it was the most popular deck in the top eight, too. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that are, that are worth pointing out here. Ghost Quarters appear as a three of... Uh, in this deck, which is part of why that card is moving. Um, Eldrazi Temples still seem too cheap to me, um, given how well this deck is doing. Uh, also worth pointing out that Reality Smasher, Thought Not Seer, and Walking Ballista Foils are also still probably uh, cheaper than they should be, given the level of play that they're seeing, um, although they've already seen gains since we called out all three of those cards on this show in the last six months or so. Um, I'm still selling all his, all his dusts at a quick pace because it hasn't been seen in reprint since 2015. And Karn Liberated, of course, is holding a price tag in the $50 to $60 range. 
um, given that he hasn't seen a reprinting in the same amount of time. Uh, I, I'm still picking up Foil Reality Smashers and Foil Thought Not Seers uh, wherever I can. Uh, foil Thought Not Seer under 20 seems like just a steal. And uh, Reality Smasher is one of the like most backbreaking things somebody can lay down against you, especially when it comes down early, like turn three off a natural Tron or uh, a couple of Eldrazi temples in a land and you're there and you're sad. You're so sad. You dismember this, pay four life, and chuck another card. Oh, it stings. Yeah. Second place in that tournament was a living end in the new configuration we alluded to earlier. Fairy Macabre as a four of in that deck, along with four uh, Desert Ceridon, four Architects of Will, two Fulminator Mage, four Horror of the Broken Lands, four Monstrous Carabid, the foils of which uh, were on Travis's buy list uh, last week, uh, Simeon Spirit Guides, and Street Wraiths. So, um, you know... Living End is finding new life. Uh, is it tier one yet? Mm, hard to say. I need to see some more top eights before I can make that determination. But it's certainly better than it was six months ago. Um, Amonkhet has definitely given it uh, a renewed uh, lease on life in, in the format. And the fact that four of the other top eight decks were Death Shadow, notwithstanding, we also had a Dredge deck and another Eldrazi Tron to round out the top eight. And of note, uh, there are were only uh, three decks not playing a full set of Street Wraith. We had the four Death Shadow and the, the one Dredge deck. Excuse me, the one uh, Living End deck playing the, the full number. Uh, it, it amuses me so much that Dredge wasn't interested in Street Wraith. That's yeah, just... in the current configuration. But both Living End and Death Shadow were, um, which is what's driving the price on that card. Now, in the top 16, the deck that jumped out at me was, I think, the ninth place finisher, uh, which was uh, Bren Brennan DeCandio. Um, and he was running the uh, put all the green-white combos you can find in Creatures Toolbox version of uh, Vizier of Remedies and uh, Devoted Druid, Druid combo. So he was running the Kitchen Finks and Viscera Seer, uh, Viscera Seer. Uh, combo as well to go infinite in multiple dimensions um, on the back of four quarter calling and four collected company um, foil cords and companies are still probably too cheap versus where they're going to be in a year i think in the top 16 of the modern open was also a storm deck uh caleb Shear, uh ran this and uh it's got the second cost reduction creature in baral who is a card i'm keeping an eye on at three dollars right now it's uh it's a lot of fun to watch and it's a lot of fun actually to play because you're solving this puzzle and you have to see if it's it's going to work out. I don't think it's tier one yet, but if it becomes tier one, uh, Baral is a small set rare that is not being opened a lot of right now. And I think there would be a lot of room for them to grow. Plus, I just love, love watching storm decks go off. It just pleases me in this deep down in my soul. Yeah, I was buying foils of Baral at around $6 back in February. Um, looks like he's up to about 10 They could easily be $20 foils down the road, so I think that's probably a safe buy as well. I'm with you. All right, so moving on. We got tons of new announcements this week because we are heading into Magic's 25th anniversary year, um, and Wizards wants that to be a slam dunk for everybody, so they announced a whole bunch of exciting things going on over the next 12 months. Um, and uh, we may as well plow through them uh, one at a time. So I guess the, the first big uh, confirmation was that um, we have Ixalan 
uh, as the fall set this year. This was something we basically already knew um, because of some leaks of uh, product packaging that came out in the wintertime. Um, but now we know more about Ixalan. We know that it is a uh, pirates versus dinosaurs, crazy uh, Mesoamerican sub-themed uh, treasure hunting type world. Um, and we've got Vraska last seen on uh, Ravnica um, heading up a pirate brigade in, in theory, um, trying to chase down some treasures. Do you have any thoughts on this theme? Uh, I think that Carrie Zev is going to get some friends to play with. Uh, we know a little bit about what mechanics there will be due to the, uh, the leaked card sheets that got pictures taken of that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But, uh, you know, the last time they did uh, treasures and hunting was, I think, Zendikar, where they called thing. Did they officially call it hidden treasures? I don't think they ever actually came out and said we put a bunch of reserve lift cards onto into packs. I think they confirmed it at one point that they had done it, but it was only the first wave of boxes um, that got them because they, you know, they were putting crazy things like Mish's workshops into packs back then. Yep, uh, we got uh, all kinds of things. Uh, announced, um, we have, so we have Iconic Masters, and then we have um, 25th Anniversary Masters, and so that'll be the third master set we have within a calendar year, correct? Within 12 yeah. months? Yeah, and the, and the part that, that, that seems really strange to me there is that, you know, they, they made clear that Iconic Masters was about the iconic creatures and tribes of magic. But it also assumed, I had also assumed before they announced the 25th Masters that it would include important cards from Magic's history in a way that they failed to do in FTB 20 when everybody was disappointed that it included Jace the Mind Sculptor and not much else. Um, and instead, we're getting just six months later another master set called Magic 20, 25th Anniversary Masters, which is assumably what I was expecting to see in Iconic Masters. And I just don't get how between those two sets we have enough cards. <laughs> Uh, we probably don't, but they're, um, you know, they're, they're proving that they realize that they don't because they announced the end of masterpieces in every set. They, it was only like a year ago they said there would be masterpieces in every set. Now they said, well, you know, we just printed, uh, uh, what is it, not redirect, uh, what is it, uh, divert. Um, we got an invocation of divert. And uh, so they, they know that they would be scraping the bottle of the barrel really quickly. Um, there's a, a lot to like about that. They're, they're trying to keep masterpieces special. And I can appreciate that as long as they don't make ugly frames again. I, I feel a little more cynically about it. I, I, I suspect that it's more about um, they looked at the sales for Shadows Over Innistrad and... Um, Eldritch Moon, which deliberately did not have masterpieces. They compared those to the sales for the Zendikar block and uh, for the Kaladesh block, and they came to the conclusion that the masterpieces were not adding enough to set sales for them to make a big deal out of them all the time, and so there was no need for them to burn that social currency um, or you know brand equity value of being able to keep them exciting over time so that they would potentially boost sales at whatever they decided it, it, it creates. So let's say that it adds 1.5% or 3% or whatever to sales. They figure they can achieve that in other ways. So they're going to you know put that, that tool back in the box and drag it out when they need it. Let me give you an analogy from my classroom. 
if I tell my students there's going to be extra credit every two weeks, they'll depend on it. They'll expect that, and they'll they'll it won't be as special. But if I only give them extra credit twice every six month period, they're going to know that's a big thing, and I need to take advantage of that. So this is the the theory that they're operating under right now, which uh, I think is a better choice than just blanketing us with uh, with masterpieces. I'm for that. Um, and, and keep in mind that they wrapped up the Amonkhet block invocation selections like over a year ago, right? Yes. So, and coming out of that discussion before it had ever hit market, and you know, forget about the frames, just the cards that were selected. I'm sure internally there was dialogue that said, "We're not quite hitting the same note <laughs> of like clarity and theme that we were hitting with, you know, uh, on Zendikar lands." Everybody wanted the lands. They weren't all the ones we wanted, but the majority of them were. And then in Kaladesh block, I think it's becoming quite clear, given how quickly the price tags on a lot of those cards are accelerating, those are a hit as well. Um, but the invocations are, are a mess. They're, it's a muddled group of, uh, of cards um, that don't even tie into Amaket all that well. I mean, the loose theme was that they were like blessings from the gods, but it didn't even come across very well in the execution. The cards are terribly illegible, as we've talked about before, and the frames are ugly. So, um, you know, they, the sum total of all of that is if we can't hit the set of the park, we're shooting ourselves in the foot to even make it a thing. So let's dial it back and give ourselves some breathing space to figure this out in the same way that for many years they've strung us along by only giving us a super uh, special mechanic advancement for the game every once in a while. Like, we don't get Planeswalkers every two years. We get them like, every decade if we're lucky. I'm with you. Uh, on that note of um, the widespread of things, uh, they announced the next From the Vault as well. And uh, the From the Vaults have followed a pretty straightforward path the past few years. There's been one or two big value cards and the rest is chaff to maybe worth a couple bucks. And now we get From the Vault Transform, which is probably going to be either... Uh, first of all, uh, full disclosure, I've been picking up um, Archangel Avison foils as she prepares to rotate out, and I'm now really peeved that she's probably going to get reprinted. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm already... Well, I'm like, getting caught. I'm getting... I'm getting caught with my pants down on some Jace Vin's Prodigy foils as well. Um, oh, so brother, I'd, we'll I'd be moving that out right now. Uh, that yeah. seems like the slant. That, what other flip card is worth uh, anything? Uh, nothing particularly special. And here's the problem is that um, FTV foils have been long maligned as being too glossy and, and prone to uh, curling. Yeah. Uh, because the gloss, the heavy gloss on one side and the card back on the other means that in the presence of moisture or absence thereof, you're going to get some some warping. Um, but there's two, two potentialities here with the FTV Transform. One is that because they're all flip cards, they are glossy on both sides and hence will not curl. Now that, Fingers would, be, that would be Fingers that would be crossed. Okay. People would still not like the glossy appearance, but at least they wouldn't curl. Um or if they're really uh, smart and dedicated, they've taken what they've learned about correcting the foils from Modern Masters, Modern Masters 2015 to 2017, where they got much better, um, and hopefully have been able to apply that to the other supplemental products. In which case, uh, they could have fixed the foils entirely, and then FTV would be a whole new ballgame. Uh, I am, 
Uh, I was talking about this with some other people at the shop the other day. Uh, which meld pairing do you think they go for? I don't think I, they I think go for. Uh, what do you mean? Too... I think it's too soon for that. I mean, absolutely if, if not. Up... It's I, it's I I think that, I think I don't think they do Brizella. I think they do Hanweir, and I think everybody is just super pissed off that they got Hanweir in there instead of Brizella. It's it's weird. I I. I... It sets a very strange precedent. While a set is still essentially on shelves, um, and before it rotates, I mean, when when does that set come out? Uh, that comes out November twenty fourth. So it's it's rotated out by that point, but that's still really soon. Like that's like a year and and three months after the release of of Eldritch Moon um, to be reprinting a card from that set. That would surprise me. Uh, I think that they won't have the chance to do anything like too unusual, and the meld is one of the most unusual things they've tried, two cards becoming one. So I think there there will be a meld pairing in there, and I don't think they're going to go for Brizella. But that I, I, I hate speculating on what Wizards will do ever since uh, they printed Iona twice in a month. So, Fair. Uh, so the other thing they announced was dual decks, Merfolk versus Goblins. This is not likely to be particularly financially relevant, although there might be something like a Master of Waves in the Merfolk deck um, that could hurt that spec. Um, it's also worth noting that uh, that probably precludes those two tribes from showing up as one of the Commander tribes in Commander 2017, uh, which we now know has dragons as one of the four tribes being released. I had suspected that Merfolk and Goblins might be two of the other tribes. Uh, I would su be pretty surprised, though, if it was in a dual deck and in the Commander product. There's enough Merfolk and Goblins to... Well, maybe not enough Merfolk that are super competitive. I wouldn't be surprised if there was like a... Uh, Master of the Pearl Trident or New Lord of Atlantis foil or something, but there's a there's a ton of goblins out there, and this might be a way to um, really encourage new players, uh, newer players. Like you can get all of these goblins by buying these two different sets. I I don't think you could rule out goblins. Merfolk seems like a good rep, but there's so many goblins doing so many different things. Yeah, so. I want to go back to Ixalan for a second because the latest thing that happened this afternoon was that somebody out there in internet land spoiled uh, uh, some hastily taken photos of some Ixalan foil uh, test sheets or um, uh, whatever stage they're at in the printing process. They might be final sheets. They might be test sheets. It's hard to say. Um, they looked final to me. Um, and I was able to make out through a little bit of detective work what some of the cards in these sheets appear to be. So let me run some of these ideas by you. Um, things that I think are about to be printed come the fall. Uh, there's an enchantment for one and a white that says, oh, spoilers, spoilers alert. If you don't want to know what's happening in Ixalan and you don't like spoilers this early, please turn off the podcast now and return we, in five minutes. We love you. Come back to us. Just skip ahead a little bit. Exactly. Sorry about that. So now, for everybody else that is totally happy to hear news as it appears, um, one white enchantment, players can't cast spells, activate abilities of cards in graveyards, um, gain one life if a creature dies. I'm paraphrasing here, but that's basically what it does. Right. It's uh, Ashes of the Abhorrent, and it seems uh, tailor-made to wreck uh, a lot of the graveyard strategies without being rest in peace. So that, that is almost certainly going to be a Stony Silence type, Gra Graf Digger's Cage type sideboard card for modern um, 
if foils show up uh, particularly cheap up front, then you sock them away, but you can probably wait till peak supply before you have to worry about it. Um, there was a, this creature is not particularly exciting, but you know, it was something I could make out. So here you go. One in a green for a one, one, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature. Uh, that is the ever-present champion. That's a merfolk that is green. Oh, interesting. Green merfolk. Yes. Uh, it seems clear uh, that uh, if you poke around a little bit and you care about spoilers uh, and leaks, uh, you'll be able to find what the text is as people have run it through assorted uh, image improvement programs and uh, brought up the text a little bit. Um, there's all kinds of uh, interesting things. We got the new mechanics. We've got color shifts going on. Vampires are in white. Uh, it seems that pirates are in the Grixis colors. And we have the buddy lands, excuse me, the check lands. That's my favorite phrase for them. Uh, Dragon Skull Summit, Slump Hill Grove, and everything. They'll be back for like their fifth go round, I think. Yeah, so the cool play on that was Saffron Allah figured out that those a lot of those lands were like two cents on Magic Online this afternoon and bought like 240 of them, driving the quadrupling the price in the matter of about an hour. Um, I managed to get my hands on some in the about the 20 cent range. If these end up being standard staples, they'll probably be in the 75 cents to three dollar or four dollar range. So that could be a like quintet like hundred times up. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably 20 or 50 times up for him uh, and a little less for me. So uh, that was a very uh, astute play on Saf's behalf. Um, there's a black card uh, instant. This will be really only relevant in standard and not even clear. It'll make it there uh, Two two black black exile target creature or planeswalker and you gain two life. Uh, it's an instant. Here's the one that That's really important here. Here's the one that really caught my eye hostage taker Two blue black human pirate. 2-1. When Hostage Taker enters the battlefield, exile target artifact or creature until Hostage Taker leaves the battlefield. And you can cast that card for as long as it remains exiled, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast the spell. So a blue-black creature with an exiling effect that you would normally only see in white. Um, I mean, exiling's in black too, but very rarely in blue. Um, and you can steal the card and play it yourself. It seems That's, awesome. I can't wait to play the bejesus out of this card. Yeah, and the fact that you can like blink this thing at EDH marks these foils as a thing in, the, in that format, right? I would be uh, a big, big, big fan of doing that uh, over and over again. I loved everything I can do with Gonti, and this is uh, just a... You can leave it exiled forever, exiled as long as it's in play if you want, or you can get some immediate value. Um there's a there a lot to love in these spoiled car in the leaked cards. Um, there's a legendary merfolk who uh, is apparently uh, going to be blue green, and it's going to let you draw a card for each creature you control when it comes into play, and it has power and toughness equal to that. Uh, and we don't know what the casting cost is because it was cut off in the picture. Hopefully, it costs like thirty because I don't want. Simic being even better in Commander than it is now, but that's just me. Yeah, so Tihana Voice of Thunder is apparently that card's name, and uh, it definitely looks like a plant for EDH, um, where I suspect it will be a reasonably popular Commander as long as the casting cost is something in the 5 to 6 range. That seems like a more likely one. Uh, I also want to mention um, the upgraded 
sort uh pithing needle the sorceress spyglass which is basically pithing needle only you get to look at their hand when it comes into play but it costs an extra mana so it's two um whether that is uh it was something designed to stop etherworks marvel uh is unclear but um this is something that uh like i'm built i'm enjoying the hell out of my Drakehaven deck and uh this is a card that's going to like irritate the ever-loving hell out of me if somebody plays it against me yeah uh here's another card haven raptor two green green dinosaur four or five it's got a new keyword called tough whenever haven raptor is dealt damage draw a card yep it's uh going right into my uh pestilence or pyroclasm decks just nuke everything draw a card nuke everything draw a card uh also of note is that raid is back um whether it's going to be financially relevant i'm not sure but uh there's an orc pirate for two and a black at the beginning of your end step if you attacked with creature this turn reveal the top card of your library and put it into your hand and you lose life equal to the converted mana cost so it's a way for aggressive creatures aggressive decks to get some card draw and this can even come into play after the attacks so you attack with you play your land you attack with your two drop put it into play Draw your card, get that Dark Confidant effect going on. Get your card back immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about this legendary human pirate, Captain Lannery Storm? Haste 2-2. Whenever Captain Lannery Storm attacks, create a colorless treasure artifact token with tap, sack this artifact, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So basically, whenever she attacks, you get a Lotus Petal. And whenever you sacrifice a treasure, which is what the Lotus Petal is called, Captain Lannery Storm gets plus one, plus zero until end of turn. It wouldn't have killed them to make that called Lotus Petal, would it? It would have been so simple. Mm-hmm. I, I, I suppose the, these treasure tokens that are basically Lotus Petals are going to be spread throughout the set, would be my guess. That seems likely. Uh, the, the last card I really want to mention is um, really one of the big tribal support cards, uh, Vanquisher's Banner for five mana. When it comes in a, as it enters the field, choose a creature type. Those creatures get plus one, plus one. And whenever you cast a spell of that type, draw a card. Now that's cast. That's not comes into play. So uh, this is going to make uh, a lot of tribal decks in casual circles very, very happy. And um, it does not trigger with Panharmonicon if that's a combo that you immediately went to. Right. Um that one's cool for EDH, but the other one uh, that caught my eye, I think, is more important and is likely to be a major staple in that format. Uh, and the foils will definitely be on my target list. Arcane Adaptation, an enchantment for two and a blue, so it fits into any blue EDH deck that is tribally focused. Um, as Arcane Adaptation enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. Creatures you control are the chosen type in addition to their other types. And the same is true for creature spells you control and creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield. So this is basically saying, um, in the same way that what Painter's Servant makes everything the same color, um, this makes all creature cards anywhere uh, in your hand, on the stack, in play, um, in the graveyard, in your deck, all the same creature type. So you could make a Slivers deck with a bunch of non-Slivers. Yes. Uh, There's actually been a few uh, cards that do this. Uh, there was one uh, that's actually called Conspiracy, uh, It's but it's two more mana and it's black. So this right. moves the, the ability over. And uh, I'm looking up to see, like that was from forever ago. So, that's Mercadian Masks, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 
Well, it also and got we a, have... a time-shifted version. And the sli- right. And then the slivers themselves have a time spiral version called Hivestone that just makes everything a sliver, but only when they're in play. And then there was, uh, there's one that does that from, uh, from uh, New Phyrexia. There's one that, uh, uh, I, want to see, I think it's called Vivisection. Hold on, let me look. Uh, nope, I'm thinking the wrong card. I will think of what that's called and dredge my brain later. But we've we've had All these. Right, so, go ahead. Uh, we we've had these effects before, and they have. This is the cheapest one, but it's not the first one in blue, and I'm not sure it's gonna break anything that badly. What kind of shenanigans are you expecting with this card? Just that people will find ways to merge tribes that otherwise either weren't deep enough um, or um, create all sorts of some kind of crazy combo by having two cards that only would have interacted if they were, say, elves, um, suddenly be elves. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like, and I suspect you're going to end up getting this card for cheap before it ever gets a chance to be expensive. Um, but it's the kind of thing they don't print very often. So once the foils hit peak supply and are at their bottom basement price, if that's whatever it ends up being, um, I'll, I'll certainly be in for, say, 12 copies or so. Uh, there, there will be uh, stuff to do with it. The card I was thinking was called Xenograft. Uh, it, is, it comes into play, choose a creature type, and each creature you control is that type. And so it doesn't affect stuff on the stack, stuff in the graveyard, things like that. So it's much less... Um, comprehensive then that's the thing and that's the thing right like if you have say rebels out that let you search their library as the primary tribe and then everything's a rebel uh, uh, there there's certainly shenanigans you can do and it for the decks that want to do shenanigans uh having backup ways besides just conspiracy will will be helpful for them so i i think it's going to be fun to see but I, it's it's going to be a, a long growth curve on that one i think so the only other thing I want to comment on is um, something about this Ixalan theming is rubbing me the wrong way. It's a little over the top. The whole pirates, for, pirates versus Dinosaurs thing is, seems to be drawn from a, a reasonably popular board game from not too far back. Um, and I don't know. It's just a little too wacky for me. I like I like my stuff to be more on the like cool side of fantasy than the everything in the kitchen sink side. Well, if that doesn't float your boat, don't forget we've got the third unset coming out before too long as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too pleased about that one either. I, I I remember having an okay time playing the original unhinged and unglued sets back in the day. Um, I think one of the worst fights I ever had with my little brother was, was over some kind of craziness related to unhinged. But I, from a collector and finance perspective, the, those sets have mostly been about... Uh, the lands gorgeous lands the full art lands um i expect that there's no way they're releasing this set without giving us some hot new set of lands um which might dilute uh the appeal of you know the unglued and unhinged ones depending on what we get Um, i don't think anything what could you possibly print that would make the unhinged lands unappealing I don't, know if they're una- I don't know if they'll be unappealing, but it di- dilutes interest, right? In the same way that if you keep putting out masterpieces all the time, they're just collectively less special and nobody feels like they have to go get some. 
Brother, uh, we're, what, we're talking ice cream here. You find your favorite flavor and you dive in on that. It does not fair. D- does not make any other flavor of ice cream less appealing to you that you like strawberry. It does not take away that sometimes you want chocolate, sometimes you want vanilla. I don't. Well, and here's the thing: if, if these lands end up being at least as good as the John Avon lands from Unhinged or better, then and they're in high demand. Keep in mind, this is one of the only opportunities in MTG Finance where people need twenty or thirty copies of the land. I'm all for stocking up on this. I, I don't even know what the lands will look like, and I'm already thinking, like, what would my price point be to jump in on these? Well, and given what we saw with Conspiracy 2, right, where the bot, the EV is so high because nobody bought the set, um, because it was sandwiched in between Eldritch Moon and Kaladesh um, in the late summer when people, you know, during their, their you know, downtime slot. Uh, this set is coming out in near Christmas, though, right? Yes, the release date on uh, this set is December 8th, 2017. So, and the interesting there is that's right out, you know, Ixalan is in September, late September. And then we get this other product called Explorers of Ixalan, November 24th, which is apparently an out-of-the-box multiplayer magic experience that challenges you to defeat your opponents along the way as you search for the Lost City. So this is kind of cool. This sounds like an arch-enemy type thing, but instead of fighting the big bad Nicol Bolas, you're going to be, you know, working against some kind of, like, um, like NPC conditions, like you versus the environment type of thing, um, which, if it's done well, could easily be, you know, a real keeper. Um, for the collectors in the room. But it's interesting uh, that you go, you go Ixalan, Explorers of Ixalan, and then right like two weeks later, you've got this uh, unset heading into the holidays. Also forgetting about Commander. Commander's Sorry. coming up. Sorry, you that, cut out there. Commander is coming out in that time frame too. No, Commander's earlier. Commander has been moved. It's usually in November, but it's moved back to late August or September this year. Oh, let me double check on that, really? Yeah, it's pre-Ixalan this year. Oh, so it is. Thank God. Oh, yeah, it's in well, August. Well, I mean, it's crazy still, though, because we're getting, we get, like, the dual deck, Merfolks versus Goblins, is November 10th. From the Vault, Transform is November 24th. <laughs> so is Explorers of Ixalan. So you get Commander at the end of August. You've got Ixalan in September. Uh, nothing in October. Then you've got three supplemental products in November. And then the Un... Uh, un unnecessary, unnecessary, unstable, sir, unstable, unnecessary, unstable. Heading into the holidays, I mean that is a lot of magic product. And the story, the narrative that people should be picking up on here is that they are still in the face of flatlined player growth, trying to shove more products down our throat to see whether they can dip into our wallets in new and exciting ways. I'm really curious to see how this unset does if it sells more than Conspiracy did because Conspiracy has uh, a lot of other applications and it still did not sell very well either due to positioning or the only way to... You're either buying boxes and cracking them for the value or you are uh, playing it with... Uh, you know, you're, you're doing a draft pod. There's, there's not many other ways to do that and I think that'll be the case with Unstable as well. Given the week of release, the interesting part here is they clearly don't expect you to show up at your LGS and and draft a bunch of this because um, that's the period of time like heading into like the first week of December is where everybody's got Christmas parties and all sorts of family commitments and so forth and that's you know sandwiched in between American Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yep. Um, 
and you know that's not a good time for lgs's that's when they're probably least busy all year except for maybe like early january when nobody's got any money um and that leads me to believe that they the one of the ways Mero convinced them to let him do this set was that he would put it right during the gift buying period of the holidays on the premise that this would be the hottest new magic item that you could buy someone as a christmas gift we will find out man it's going to be a, a rough few months for my wallet if it doesn't go well um or if most you know non-wacky focused players stay away from the set and just target the lands as singles that would indicate that not much of the product gets opened and that those lands, if they're fantastic, may end up uh, uh, crashing pretty hard up front and then climbing relatively quickly. So we'll have to wait and see what the reveal on those is like and whether they seem like targets at the time. Basically, does it do the same curve as Conspiracy? Yeah, exactly. All right, so I think that should be a wrap for this week. We've had a busy one. Ooh, uh, so much can people? Where can people find you online, Cliff? Uh, main place to find me is on Twitter at Word of Commander. I also write a weekly column that will be going up every Friday. And uh, where can people find you online, James? You guys can find me on Twitter, as usual, at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Um, that all sounds wonderful, but I should point out two things. A, we've definitely killed it making you guys money on specs lately, so I hope you all cashed in on that, and you're welcome. Um, and uh, as much as MTG price is wonderful, there are some known bugs in the pricing algorithms that we are in the process of fixing, so bear with us with a little patience. We should have that sorted out in a week or two. That brings us to the end of our podcast for this week, number 72. Thanks for having me on, James. Uh, if Travis uh, doesn't get lost in the depths of Vegas, let me know, and I'll be back next week, too. Yeah, I mean, if he trips into the Grand Canyon, you're you're my lock for ongoing partnership. Do you understand how far apart those are, sir? Yeah, I, you're, <laughs> you're Canadian. You might not know. It's okay. Thank you, Cliff, and we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.